I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time to drive to work. Okay. So today, um, so recently, uh, Gavin Verhey did a video on Good Morning Magic all about the invitational cards. And so he did a lot talking about the cards, like what happened to them once they got made. Uh, and I thought it might be a good story to talk about how they got made. Um, so I'm going to tell the behind-the-scenes stories of the making of the invitational cards. Um, and I recommend that you, for the full exposure, watch Gavin's video. I'm trying to make this to complement Gavin's video. I mean, I'll repeat a few things, and I guess this hopefully will stand alone as well. But uh, it is meant to be a compliment to, to Gavin's video. Um, okay, so what is the invitational cards? How do they start? How do they stop? How do they start again? Let, let's talk all about that. Okay, so go, we're going to go way back to uh, this is 1998, I think, 7, 97, 98. Um, or actually, maybe even earlier than that, maybe 96. Actually, it might go back all the way to 96. Anyway, um, what's going on is I am the editor-in-chief of The Duelist. Uh, and so we used to do this event at Origins called the Duelist Team Challenge where we would have people, we hosted this event and you would have three people play and then each person would play a different format. Uh, they're all constructed formats. I don't remember exactly. One was playing the equivalent of standard, one was playing the equivalent of vintage, and then one was playing one of the in-between formats at the time, uh, extended or something. Uh, anyway, so we, we hosted this event for a little while and then at some point, um, Wendy, who was the editor, or the publisher, I, I should say, I was the editor, uh, Wendy was the publisher, said, you know, um, it might be fun, like, we have a little bit of money if we want to host an event, you know, not just do something, like, the, the dual Team Challenge, just people showed up at, at Origins and signed up for it. She was like, if you want to do something, you know, maybe a, a little more, a, 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 with a little more profile to it, we have a little bit of money, we could do something. And so... We decided, um, or I, you know, I decided, she, she came to me and said, well, what do you want to do? And she gave me the budget. So I realized I had enough money to fly uh, 17 people, basically 16 people plus myself to run it, to, I think we were going to go to San Diego. Uh, the, there's a hotel there called the Hotel Del Coronado. I think that was the original plan. Um, and the idea was... Uh, I. I came up with the idea of doing an all-star game. Uh, it was a 16-person round-robin tournament, meaning every person plays every other person once. I thought a round-robin would be a really cool thing for an all-star game, right? It means every player plays every other player, so that you, you always get the match you want to see. Um, Magic didn't really have an all-star game. I thought that'd be a cool thing. And it allowed me to make a very small tournament because I could afford to fly 16 people somewhere. Um, but that, that was about the, our, our budget. Uh, and then... Um, we needed a prize, but I had no money, right? I, I spent all my money flying everybody to the event. Um, so I came up with the idea of, well, what if they get to make a card? Because I, you know, worked in R&D, and I'm like, okay, I could, you know, I could, I could oversee this and make sure they could do it. And so I, I went to whoever the, you know, VP of R&D at the time was, and they said, okay, sure. Um, and so we started the invitation. Now, the... I did a whole bunch of podcasts about the Invitational, so I'm not going to go too much into the running of the Invitational. These podcasts go into it pretty in-depth. I have a bunch of podcasts on the Invitational. But anyway, the, the short version of the story is um, 
there was going the first ever Grand Prix was going to be in Hong Kong uh, for various reasons that got canceled, but they had set up the event. So they asked if we could come since you know an All Star Game felt like a something that would be I don't know something they could highlight. Uh, and so our, instead of being in San Diego, we got flew to Hong Kong. Um, and the Invitational for the first bunch of years was all around the world. We actually went to every continent uh, save Antarctica um, uh, for the Invitational. But anyway, um, okay, so the very first Invitational is in Hong Kong, and the winner of the event is Ula Rade. He, uh, Ula Rade is from Sweden. Um, he is... Uh, he won like the third ever Pro Tour. He was the first uh, Pro Tour Player of the Year, um, and so it's it really exciting. Um, and so I had the players turn in cards before the event. Um, it, it varied when they turned their cards, and you, usually I would have them do it ahead of time just so we could show what the cards were. Um, and Ula had made a card called World of Bums. Uh, in Gavin's video, he accidentally, he called it World of Burns because an RN, uh, a lowercase RN looks a lot like an M. Uh, so probably bad handwriting on my part. But anyway, it was called World of Bums. And um, it was a red enchant world that didn't do anything. And the idea was, all it was was an enchant world that got rid of other, it cost one red mana. It got rid of other enchant worlds. The problem at the time was uh, R&D decided to stop doing enchant worlds. And so it was very hard to put Enchant World in a new set when we didn't do Enchant Worlds before. And it didn't do anything. wasn't anything else. Um, I think he then turned in another card that was kind of not something we could do. Um, so what ended up happening was um, we uh, just, like, didn't make it. Like, I, I had asked Ulef to turn in another card, and he, he just didn't. I don't know why. Um, Ula really didn't treat it very seriously at all. Um, I really had high hopes for the card. Like I, I thought it was this really cool thing that you got to make a card, and it was your card. And I, I really thought it was this, you know... Um, like, I, for example, in, in a Mirage, there was a card named after me uh, called Maro, obviously. Uh, and it was a big deal. Like, sort of, I felt like, you know, I... There was a card that... I, I was part of the game. It just felt like a, a really cool experience. I was trying to copy that for the players. Um... But anyway, the first event finishes, and the, pl- the prize isn't even claimed, right? Like, it's not even something that the winner values at all. And I, w- I was kind of bummed. Um, you know, I was like, I, I really thought it was going to be something pretty cool, and it, first year out, was not cool, you know. Uh, but we had another Invitational, so what happened was, uh, the first one was sort of so exciting that different people... You know, we're, we're asking if we could come to them. And so the South American office uh, said, hey, would you guys come to Rio? We're like, yes, we can come to Rio. So the second ever dual Invitational was in Rio de, Gine- Rio de Janeiro. Um, very hot. Um, we had the only, uh, the room we played in was the only air-conditioned room in the building. Uh, it was at a Grand Prix. And, like, I remember going up to the Grand Prix hall, and it was... It might have been 110 in, in, in where they were playing. Anyway, anyway um, Darwin Castle wins the event. He got very, very sick during it. Um, like, like we multiple times had to stop for him to uh, go to the bathroom and like throw up and stuff. It was, it was not, not pretty. But he powered it through and he won the event. And Darwin, unlike Ula, was very excited for the prize. Very, very excited when he won... Um, getting a chance to get a card was a big deal to him. He really uh, 
really did want to do it. And so what happened was uh, he turned in a card. So the card he turned in was in fact called Avalanche Rider. I believe it was uh, three in red for a two one with haste. And when it entered the battlefield, destroy target land. Um, now it turns out, so one of the plans we'd always have with the invitational card was it was going to go through, and I, when I got permission to do this, it was, it had to go through our regular process. Yeah, the players could design the first version of it, but just like anybody in R&D would design the first version, it still had to go through, um, you know, development, right? It still had to be tweaked and such. The other thing we wanted to do was we wanted to make sure that it fit in to the set we were making, that we wanted to make sure that um, it felt like a natural fit. So we always knew we were going to tweak the card. So Darwin's card, it turned out, was um, a little too strong, but we found a very clever answer, which was in, in uh, so this was during, I think it came on Urza's Legacy. During Urza's saga block, we had a mechanic called Echo. And the way Echo worked is you had to pay, you paid the cost on the first turn, normally, and then you had to pay the cost on the second turn or it went away. Uh, now, it turns out that the card was too powerful as is, but with Echo, uh, in fact, we made the 2-1 into a 2-2. Two, two. With Echo, we could make the card almost exactly as is, except we, he, 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 instead of a 2-1, it could be a 2-2. Two, two. But we can make the card pretty close to what he did. We even kept the name Avalanche Riders. Um, and Echo was nice because Echo let us make the card. It turns out that Echo works really well with Enter the Battlefield effects because you sort of can play the card kind of like a spell, or if you pay the Echo cost, you get to keep the creature. Anyway, we made it. Dar oh, and so the way it always worked was whenever we would change the card, I would call up and talk to the, 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 the winner and explain to them, okay, here's what's going on. You know, your card's too strong, but we have this new mechanic in the set. We're going to add this mechanic. We can change 2-1 to 2-2. Two, two. Um, and I said that I could keep it Avalanche Riders. Anyway, he was very excited. Thumbs up. Um, and it turns out, in a total quirk of fate, um, I happened to be the person for Urza's Legacy that did the card concepting. I don't remember why. Um, I had done the card concepting for Unglued, and... Something happened, and the, the person who would normally do it wasn't there or left the company or whatever. There was no one to do it. And because I had done it for Unglued, they're like, they came to me and said, Mark, would you mind you know, doing card concepting for this set? And I'm saying, sure. Um, so when I was doing Darwin, I went to the art director and I said, you know, like this card is of somebody specific. And in, in the art was this, you know, uh, he's a human nomad, I guess. Um, and so I said, could I can I make that Darwin? Is it okay if I put Darwin's face on it? And the artist said, oh yeah, you just get me a picture of Darwin. Um, and so the plan hadn't been to put the faces of the players on the card. I hadn't promised that to anybody, um, but I saw this opportunity and I thought it'd be cool. And I don't even know whether when I did it for Darwin, I really understood that I was signing us up to do it forever. Um, but we managed to do it for Darwin. It came out uh, I don't think I told Darwin, by the way, that his face was on it. I think I let that be a surprise to him. Um, anyway, Darwin sees the card. He's ecstatic about the card. The card is good. It gets played. Um, and I, I think I believe people started calling it Darwin. So it it did it. Like, I, Ula completely missed. The second year, total hit. We make the card. The person who wins is excited for the card. You know, the image ends up on it. Um, and we end up with something. You know, so it's 3 hour. Uh, Human Nomad, 2-2, two, two, Haste, and with Echo, 3-R. 
Um, anyway, big hit. Okay, second year proves that the invitation cards could be something cool. So third year, we're in Barcelona. Um, we were bouncing around uh, continents at that point. So we were originally in Asia, then we were in South America. Next, we were in um, uh, Europe. So Mike Long wins that event. Uh, and Mike Long turns in uh, a merfolk. He really wanted a cheap little merfolk. Um, and I think what Mike did was he turned in a card, I think it was like, it was like a merfolk that activated to fly. It was a very simple card. And we ended up working with him to make something, um, so we tweaked it a bit. I, I think he wanted something that was a control, like he liked merfolk and he wanted to be a control deck card. Oh, that's another thing. We also wanted to make sure that the player got it, like the, re, the cool thing about it was they were making a card usually that matched the style of player they were. That is the kind of card that they would want to play. Um, so, for example, Darwin's card was his sort of cheap land destruction. It played into the kind of deck Darwin. Darwin loved, like, tool, you know, tool belt decks and stuff. Um, Mike was a control player, so he made a control card. So the card we ended up making, Root Rider Thief, one in a blue, one, two, creature, merfolk, rogue, blue, Root Rider Thief gains flying to end of turn. Whenever Root Rider Thief deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two. If you do, search that player's library for a card and exile, then that player shuffles it. So it sort of did a, what we call a lobotomy effect. Um, it ended up, this card was... We, we didn't push this card quite as hard as we'd pushed Darwin's card. Um, I think just because the effect of the card was something that we... We didn't mind it being in the environment, but we didn't want it being too good. It could be annoying if this was like the most dominant card. Um, so Mike's card wasn't quite as strong as um, Darwin's card, again, in vacuum. But it was a very powerful effect, and in the right deck, especially a deck where Merfolk mattered, uh, it ended up being a powerful card. So um, Mike's card also did see some tournament play. In fact, I think over half the tournament cards, I'm sorry, over half the invitational cards, I believe, ended up in Pro Tour winning decks. And the majority of them, the vast majority, showed up in top eight Pro Tour decks. So most of these cards got ended up getting played. There's a few that when I get to, I didn't see quite as much play. Um, oh, the other interesting question for Mike's card was we had put Darwin on Darwin's card. And so when it came time to do that card, I was sort of like, well, can we put the art? You know, and they said, sure. The only problem was the merfolk. Uh, so let's see, Darwin was in Urza Saga. So this must have been Mercadian Masks, I think when, when Mike's card came out. Anyway, the, the issue with Mike's card was the merfolk in the world that we were doing didn't look human. So the merfolk couldn't be Mike. So we ended up making Mike the victim of the card and not, not the merfolk. So he's like the, he's in a rowboat or whatever. He's a fisherman getting attacked by the merfolk. Um, but we did get him in the card. Okay, the fourth year, we were in Kuala Lumpur. And the very dramatic final, Chris Bakula beat John Finkel, um, which is, the, that, that whole story is an amazing story. Go listen to my podcast on the Kuala Lumpur. It was, the fact that Chris won was a miracle. Um, I think Chris considers it his greatest accomplishment in all of magic. Um, anyway, so Chris turns in a card, I think he called the Meddler. Uh, and I believe it was like one blue blue for a two two. When it enters the battlefield, you name a card. And then for like one blue blue sack, you can counter the named card. So the set that it was going in was Invasion, which was a multicolor set. So we wanted it to be multicolored. Um, so instead of being uh, just blue, we made it white blue. But that let us drop the cost 
from three mana to two mana. And we decided that we didn't want to, like, we made the card better. We're like, why do you have to sacrifice the card? How about you name a card and just all copies of that card can't be you know, are countered, right? Just you stop all copies of that card. You know, uh, I think um, uh, Chris's version, like, you got to stop one version and you lost the creature. So I ended up calling Chris. And so we made a bunch of changes. So it's two mana, not three mana, but it's multicolored, not monocolored. And you get to name a card and then all the cards get countered, not just, you, you, and you don't have to lose the creature. So I remember reading this to Chris, and Chris was ecstatic. He's like, you can make that? That's okay. We can print this card. Like, Chris couldn't believe we were making the card. And I'm like, yeah, are you happy with it? He goes, of course I'm happy with it. Um, so we ended up calling it Medley Mage. So that, once again, uh, Darwin's card, we kept the name. Um, I don't remember what Mike called his card. Um, we tried to make a nod to the player in names when we could. And if the player gave us a name that could work, we tried to use as much of it as we could. We often couldn't use all of it. Um, and um, I remember that this... So this was another good... Uh, Meddling Mage might be one of the best examples of just, like, the pinnacle of an invitational card. I mean, to this day, the card still see play in, in various formats where it's playable. Um, and Chris was ecstatic with his card. He was super, super happy. Um, in fact, he would later buy the art, I think from Mike Long, if I remember correctly. Um, anyway, um, so we, we started demonstrating how the invitational card really can be, when done correctly, could be you know, something that's this really cool, amazing thing. So the next year, we are in um, Sydney, Sydney, Australia, bopping around those continents. Um, so John Finkel wins. John Finkel had lost to Bakula the year before, but he manages to win Sydney against Ben Rubin. Um, I, again, go listen to the podcast about the actual Invitational. The, there's lots of cool stories about the Invitationals. Um, anyway, um, so he turns in originally a card called Wrath of Lechniff. Lechniff is Finkel spelled backwards. Uh, and basically it was a Wrath of God, but like a free Wrath of God, meaning uh, you untapped, I think it was like, two white-blue, and then you untap four lands. You, you destroy creatures, they can't regenerate, and then you untap four lands. It was just over the top. We couldn't make it. Uh, so we asked him to turn in another card. So he turned in a card called Shadow Mage of Lechniff. Uh, so sh that became Shadow Mage Infiltrator. So one blue-black, uh, one three, um, and uh, it is a human wizard. It has fear, means the creature can't be blocked by artifact creatures and black creatures. Whenever Shadow Mage Infiltrator deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card, what we call Curiosity. Um, so the idea... Uh, so that card is, I think, exactly as John turned it in. I mean, we changed the name. We, we didn't want to put Lechniff in. Um, but we kept Shadow Mage. We made a Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Um, and I think that's the one Invitational card we did not change mechanically at all. I think John just did a good job of making a card that was strong, but not too strong. Um... And that's another example of a card that saw play. I mean, I, I think it was a little bit more powerful back in this day. We've made some stronger stuff since then in a similar vein. Um, but it, once again, it played into the kind of deck that John Finkel liked to play. That, that was the fun part is that, you know, not only did you get to make a card that was your card, but it, it usually was something in the vein of the style of play you liked. So it was a card that you yourself could play, which was a lot of fun. I know, I know the players had a lot of fun playing their card. Okay. Now we get to Ularate. So Ularate comes to me at a Pro Tour um, and says to me, um, Mark, I'm, 
I didn't understand the value. You know, when I won the Invitational, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it was, a, you know, no one had ever won it before. I didn't understand it. I really blew it off. You know, I, I did not value the prize. But now, seeing Darwin's card and Mike's card and Chris's card and, you know, John's card, wow, I think I really misunderstood. I didn't, I didn't value it, but I do now. And he's like, I, I know, I know you don't have to let me make it, but please, please, I, would, I really would like the card. And so I said yes. The, the one caveat I gave him was he had since been in the Army. He had to shave his head. Uh, but when he won uh, in the original Invitational, he had, very, he was, had this very long blonde hair, uh, kind of what people knew him uh, when he you know, first sort of came on the scene. So I said to him, well, I'm fine with making you a card. I have no problem making you a card. But um, I want the card to represent you when you won, not now. And he said, fine. Uh, so we ended up making um, Sylvan Safekeeper. So green for a 1-1 human wizard. Sacrifice a land. Target creature you control gain Shroud until end of turn. Shroud means it can't be a target of spells or abilities. Shroud was the precursor to um, Hexproof. Uh, but Hexproof, Hexproof stops everybody else. Shroud stopped you and, 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 as well as everybody else. Anyway, I think the way he turned it in, uh, it bounced a land to your hand. Because... Uh, there's a famous creature we had made where you bounce, bounce a, a force to your hand to, to, uh, I think to untap a creature. Uh, anyway, that card was a bit strong. And this, it ended up going into Odyssey, and Odyssey had a threshold mechanic where you were trying to get cards in your graveyard. So sacrificing a land more played into the theme and balanced the card a little bit better. Um, again, is the same thing where we interacted. Like, in each of these cases... I would talk to the player and walk through, here's the issues, here's what development says, you know, here's our fix for it. Um, most of the time, it's like, okay, I understand. Every once in a while, they'd ask, you know, could we do this other than that? And, and I would always go ask, like, oh, you know, hey, development, could we make this change and that, that change? Um, normally, because one of the goals of the developers was we would try to make what we call a tier one card, which means we wanted to be a card we thought would see tournament play. Um, Usually we'd make a card at a level where the player's like, okay, you know, that card seems like a good card. We will get to, there's a couple cards, one coming up that didn't quite get there, but I'll explain. So next up, Void Made Prodigy. So um, the next event was in Cape Town, uh, going to Africa, um, and Kai Buddha won that. Um, so he made a card. So the card that ended up coming up, Void Made Prodigy, is blue, blue, 2-1 Human Wizard, uh, blue, blue, Sacrifice a Wizard, Counter Target Spell, and it has more for single blue mana. Um, okay, so what happened was Kai made... I'm trying to remember what it was. It was some creature that allowed you to counter a spell once, I think. Um, and so it came out as an Onslaught, and so we were trying to make it feel part of Onslaught. So what we ended up doing is we made it a wizard, and then instead of sacrificing like itself... Uh, we let you sacrifice a wizard. And so the idea was, okay, like, I, th- I, think, I think Kai's original card, you had to sacrifice itself. So we're like, okay, we can make it sacrifice a wizard. It's a wizard. Um, we ended up giving it morph. Uh, so it, you know, it, so it, it both, it had morph, it had, um, you know, it, it creature types matter, wizards mattered. So they really played into what um, Onslaught was doing. But uh, one of the things that happens is, around the time we were making the set, blue and white was causing problems in standard. So when that happens, what it means is the set 
that is coming out needs to adapt to what's going on in the environment. And it meant we kind of had to nerf white and blue. And so the wizards, as the blue tribe, got quite a bit nerfed. Um, and so we didn't nerf we didn't nerf Kai's card specifically. We left it alone. But it really was dependent upon wizards being good. Like the deck, the deck really couldn't shine without being in a like really wanted wizards to be good, and wizards weren't good. So the card ended up being on the weaker side. It was the weakest of the invitational cards we had made at the time. Um, the other interesting questions we made when the card first came out, we had made a thing, and then there's a lot of comment from the public that it didn't really look like high. So we ended up doing a promotional version where we redid the art. Uh, which is the only invitational card. The, by the way, the way the invitational cards work is the first version of the card is the player. But if we ever redo it or reprint it and have new art, the new art does not have to be the player. Um, so that's the only time we've ever done two different arts that had the, had the player on it. Um, now, Voyage Prodigy, I think, has showed up in, like, I, I believe there's been some wizard decks in some larger, older formats where... When, when there's a wizard deck in the larger format that has Voidmade Prodigy that's good, it is a card that sees play. So it's seen a little bit of play, but not as much as the other plays. And definitely, when it came out, was not nearly um, as powerful as all the other cards we'd made. Next up is Jens Torren. Uh, we, uh, so a solemn simulacrum. We, uh, if you guys, I did a podcast about my speech at, uh, I did a talk at, um, in 2022 at Magic 30 in Las Vegas. And I shared the story of the year that my budget got cut to zero for the Invitational. And I ended up going to the arena team to fund it. Uh, we ended up having the Invitational at the, Watsi, at the Wizards offices um, in, in Renton, Washington, near Seattle. Um, so that's, that's where this event happened. Um, it was won by Jens, who is from, I think, Sweden as well. Um, and he made a two-color creature, a green-blue creature, that when it entered the battlefield, you got a land, put in play tapped, and when it died, you drew a card. So the, we turned it into an artifact creature. So our card is uh, Solemn Simulacrum, four mana, artifact creature Golem, 2-2. Two, two. When Solemn Simulacrum enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, put that card onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. When Solemn Simulacrum dies, you may draw a card. So we basically took Yen's card and made it into an artifact creature. Uh, it made it have a little bit of a vulnerability because now artifact destruction can destroy it. But it was, it was now generic mana, not, you know, two colors. Um, and this is another one, where I remember when I talked to Jens, he was, ex- like, he felt like the card just got better, which I think it did. Um, and Solemn Simulacrum went on to see a lot of play. Uh, it definitely is a very useful card. It fixes your mana, it draws you a card. I know it sees a b- bunch of commander play. So anyway, um, that is Jens' card. And like I said, I think the only thing we changed is we made an artifact creature. So next up is Dark Confidant. So that was, uh, for three years we went to E3, which is a trade show uh, for video games. And because we were being, we were part of Magic Arena at the time, they were sponsoring us, we went there to help, um, you know, sell, uh, not not Magic Arena, sorry, sorry, Magic Online. Uh, This was before Magic Arena existed at all. Magic Online was who we had worked with the previous year, and so all through the E3 years had sponsored it. Um, Anyway, Bob won that tournament. Bob had turned in a card, I forgot the name of it, but it was like green, sorcery for one green mana that you give your opponent nine poison counters. Like, it just wasn't a card we could make. You know, with two of them, you could kill somebody. Literally, on turn two, you could kill somebody, or turn one, if you could somehow get two green mana on turn one, which was possible. Anyway, Bob didn't really know what to do. So Bob came to me and said, I'm stumped. 
So I said to Bob, is, look, Bob, one of the resources is I can help you. You know, I mean, we want the player to design if they want to design, but if they need help, I'm more than happy. So what I said to Bob is, what do you want? You tell me what you want. I will, I will help you make a card. So what Bob said is, I want a black creature that's cheap, one or two mana, that has card advantage. That is what Bob asked for. So uh, there was a pro tour, I think it was in Seattle. Um, so I came to the event. I'd made, I don't know, like 10 cards. And so in between rounds, um, well, I think at the, at the beginning of the event, I showed them to Bob. He gave me some notes. And in between rounds, I would keep tweaking the card. And every round, I would show him the latest version of it. Um, until we finally got to Dark Confident. So Dark Confident is one in a black. Uh, it's a human wizard. Um, what is it? I think it's a 1-1. One, one? It's a 1-1 one, one or 2-1. Uh, I don't, don't say here. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose like equal to its mana value. Um, one thing Bob fought for that I would not give him is he wanted to make it uh, optional whether you lost, like whether you got the card and thus lost the life. And I said, well, I said two things to him. I go, one, that's not very black. That's not how black functions. And two, well, three things. One, it's not black. Two, I didn't get, I couldn't make him a one or two drop. Like, if it did that, it was optional. It wasn't going to be a two drop. Uh, and three, I felt like the fun of the, like part of the fun of the card was the challenge of using. You know, there's a lot of like what made the card fun was oh, you were taking a risk. You know, and, and uh, Dark Confidant ended up being a really good card. It's one of the most powerful invitational cards, um, but it definitely has a risk reward to it, which is a lot of the fun of the card. Um, and so um, that is how we ended up with that card. Um, that is another card that, that got the nickname. It's nicknamed Bob. And the reason it's named Bob is because it's named after Bob Barn Jr. Oh, and a good example is the flavor text on that is uh, Greatness at Any Cost, I believe, is the flavor text. He was known as uh, the Great One with his nickname. And so where we could in the names of the flavor text, we always tried to sort of make nod to the player. And that was a good example where we did that. Um, okay. Um, next up, uh, our second year E3 was won by Terry So. Uh, he made a card called Rakdos Augurmage. The one we put out was Black, Black, Red, Human Wizard, 3-2, uh, First Strike, Tap, Reveal Your Hand, Discard a Card of Your Target Opponent's Choice, then that player reveals their hand and, and discards a card of your choice. Activate only as a sorcery. So the idea that he came up with was a creature in which they take a card out of your hand and you take a card out of their hand. Um, we did a lot to try to bring that to life. The problem with this card was it just isn't a fun effect. And so while we found a way to make it, we did not We did make the card that t- Terry made, um, or a version of the card that Terry made. But my big regret on this card was, it, because the effect just wasn't fun enough, we didn't push it at all. It's probably the weakest of all the Invitational cards. Um, and the reason was, it just wasn't a fun card. And so I wish I had talked to Terry. And I, here's what I wish I had said, and I feel bad. I wish I had said to Terry, look, Terry... If we make the card, we can make it, and here's what we'll do, and here's how we'll do it. But you know what? We're, we can't push this card. It is not a fun play pattern, and so we don't want this card being too good. So if you want to have a card that's a higher power card, look, let's come up with something different, and then we can do that. Um, so we, I mean, we did make the card Terry made. We, I mean, we made our version of it. Um, but in retrospect, I, I wish Terry had understood that the nature of his card kept us from pushing it. Um, okay, next up. 
Uh, so Antoine Ruel won our final year at E3. He made a card called Ranger of Eos, three and a white, human soldier ranger, three, two. When Ranger of Eos enters the battlefield, you may search your library for up to two creature cards with mana value one or less, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. Um, I don't remember the exact card that Antoine turned in. He, he wanted a small white creature. He wanted, like, a very common thing that, that pro players would want when they win the Invitational was a cheap creature with card advantage. That was very possible. You know why? Because those are good. Those are good cards. So he wanted a cheap white card that had card advantage. Um, in Fifth Dawn, we had played around with, uh, we called them cogs at the time, which were cards that interacted with artifacts that cost zero or one. Uh, th- that had played quite well, and we'd, we'd gone back to that well a few times. So we tapped into that, but with creatures. Uh, anyway, we made a card that was a lot of fun. This card seemed plenty of play. Um, I know that uh, Antoine liked it, so... Um, Okay, then we get to the final Invitational card. Uh, so the final Invitational was held at E3 in Germany. Uh, it's a giant German event. A German ga- in fact, I think it's the biggest game convention in the world, I think. Um, I'd always wanted to go to Essen, so I was excited uh, that we're having, an e- uh, we're, having, sorry, we're having an Invitational at Essen. Uh, it would end up being the last Invitational. I'll get to that in a second. Um, anyway, Tiago Chan won it. Uh, so the card we ended up making for him is called Snapcaster Mage. One in a blue for a 2-1... Human Wizard, Flash, when Snapcatcher Mage enters the battlefield, target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard, uh, gains flashback to end of turn. The flashback card is equal to its mana cost. So I think that he turned in a cheap blue creature that got back a spell, is what he had done. Um, we were trying to make it fit into... Um, we were trying to make it fit into the set we were making. Uh, it came out in Innistrad, and so the idea of flashback was in Innistrad. So the idea of Instead of just returning a spell, you know, instant or sorcery, what if we grant an instant sorcery flashback? And so, um, now we were pretty aggressive with this card. Like I said, uh, I think that Snapcatcher Mage, uh, Meddling Mage, and um, Dark Confidant, probably the three most powerful invitational cards, uh, true invitational cards, I'll get to the the, the precursors in a second, um, that we made. Uh, Anyway, this card ended up going to be very good, and... um, I know Tiago was quite happy with it. Um, so what happened was, at that point, we stopped doing the Invitational. I know in the video, Gavin kind of implies that the card was the reason we stopped the Invitational. Now, it was true the card was a pain. It, it was a lot harder to do than we had thought. Um, but we, we could do the card. The card wasn't... It wasn't undoable or anything. Um, the reason it stopped was behind the behind the scenes, you know, budget stuff. And it... it, it it, the reason it was stopped had nothing to do with the making of the card, so um, it, it got stopped for other reasons. Anyway, um, so the Invitational stops, and people often talk about how they missed the Invitational card. That was sort of a cool thing. The thing that when I made it, I just didn't know how it would go over, ended up being a, a pretty cool prize. And the players who had won one really, really did value it. It was actually a big deal to them, so I was excited about that. I was happy with that. Um, so a couple of years back, we decided to sort of... Um, redo them. And once again, they're not technically invitational cards, because there's no invitational, but they became what we call world champ cards. And so, the way it originally worked, so uh, Javier Dominguez won Worlds, and so the way it worked that year is, they talked to Javier, they showed a bunch of cards that were already in the file, Javier did not get to make a card, but they talked with Javier, and so they said to him, which of these cards would you be most excited by? So he picked Fervent Champion. So Fervent Champion's red, Human Knight, um... What is his power toughness? It is a 1-1. One, one. Uh, it is first strike in haste. Whenever Virgin, uh champion attacks, 
Uh, target, uh, a target attacking knight you control gets plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn. Uh, and equip uh, abilities you activate the target fervent champion costs three less to activate. So I believe it was in Throne of Eldraine because it has a knight. Uh, there's a knight thing. I think it was in Throne of Eldraine. Um, anyway, so we didn't let him design it. We learned that the players designing cards this often caused a lot of problems and that we wanted to make sure we had a card that matched the player and matched their play style. Oh, and we continued doing, uh, putting the face on it. Um, so it really got to be their card, something associated with them. But what we found was some of the best cards, like Dark Confidant, hadn't even really been designed by the player necessarily, but it had been designed in consultation with the player. And that is what we realized. Like, we wanted the player to get something they were happy with and something that, that, that you know, they would play that we thought would be good, be a Tier 1 card. Um, and so... After that year, I think what happened is we've started working with the player. So it's not that the player designs the card as much as kind of how I worked with Bob. The player says, here's the kind of card I like, and then works with um, R&D to design that card. And then gives input um, and gives feedback, but isn't sort of doing the brunt of the designing. So the next year was Elite Spellbinder, two and a white. Oh, Paula Vito Domodorosa uh, uh, was on this card. Uh, elite Spellbinder, two and a white, human cleric, flying, three, one. When Elite Spellbinder enters the battlefield, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell cast this way costs two more to cast. Um, so that's a pretty cool card. Didn't affect that White had not done before. Um, I, know, I, I believe Paulo was pretty happy with it. Um, and the reason that uh, the whole video got made in the first place by Gavin was uh, the premiere of Fairy Mastermind. One in a blue, Fairy Rogue, Flash Flying. Whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. Three in a blue, each player draws a card, 2-1. Uh, it was for Yuta Takahashi. Um, uh, so it, we lag worlds by a little bit because we, we work far ahead making cards. So when you win worlds, you're promised to get a card. Uh, but there's a lag between you winning worlds and the card coming out. Um, so Reed will get a card eventually. Um, anyway, uh, I'm now at work. I need to wrap up. I had a little bit of traffic, so you guys got extra content. Um, I, I, what I want to say is I have very fondness for the invitational cards. Uh, I have fondness for the invitational as a whole, but the invitational cards in particular really were a cool thing. Um, there's an innovation on the new cards where now the world champion cards have the name of the world champion written on the card. I wish I had thought of that. I wish all, like, I think a lot of the cards, like Gavin said when he did the video, one of his number one responses is people going, oh, I didn't realize that card was an imitational card. And because some of the cards are old enough that we've redone them, the art isn't even necessarily the player anymore because only the original art has the player's picture on it. So, um, so yeah, it's not, um, I, I, I do wish in retrospect that we, we were able to be a little more vocal about it. I mean, I guess if you were playing at the time, we did make a big deal of it. And, and people in the know clearly knew those were their cards. And the, obviously the players know they're their cards. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm super happy. Like, it, a lot of times you make something cool that comes out of necessity, meaning I had to figure out a cool prize for no budget. Um, and I think I came with something really cool. And so I'm, I'm happy we're continuing it today. I'm happy the Invitational Cards exist. And anyway, I hope this podcast gave you a little insight into the Invitational Card process, the making of the Invitational Cards. But anyway, guys, I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>